Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland. We take timeless biblical truth and help you to apply it in the context of your daily life. If you'd like to join us live at one of our campuses or stream one of our services online, go to peavine.org for times, locations, and more information. Well, thank you, Pastor Josh. Thank you for being here today, whether you're online, in a room somewhere. Thank you so much for joining us here at Peavine. Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, that's in the New Testament, about halfway through, a little bit farther than halfway through the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Um, while you're turning to find there, let me say a couple things. First of all, it's my joy and honor to be your pastor. I love being your pastor. Thank you for the kind words, Daniel, and thank you for allowing me to pastor such a great group of people. We're having a blast here and love every minute of it. Also, let me say next week, I'm going to preach what is um, one of the most important sermons in our church's life uh, ever next week. I'm going to talk about why we do some things the way we do them, why we uh, operate the way. So I don't want you to miss it. Make sure you're tuned in some way, somehow uh, next Sunday because I want you to hear, hear that sermon. So today, I'm finishing up Sermon 3. I'm finishing up the sermon series called Boo, What We Know About the Supernatural. And we've talked about, you know, the fact that, that ghosts aren't real. And we've talked about, about how the demonic world is real. And so knowing that the demonic world is real, how do we fight that? How do we, how do we stand against that? How do we operate knowing that the forces of Satan and hell or coming against us as a child of God. So we want to talk about that today. And really, one of the most, um, uh, honestly, some of my favorite verses to preach from. So I, I've used movie titles so far. I, I, I preached on Ghostbusters and Exodus. And so I just modified one. And I'm going to preach on Saving Private You this morning. Saving Private You. How, how do you save yourself against this onslaught of spiritual attack? Well, hang with me for a moment and, and let me get there. Ephesians chapter 6. A recent analysis of crime trends by the Council on Criminal Justice revealed that reports of violent crime have been rising in the country's major cities. As a matter of fact, uh, data gathered by the group has shown a rising number of homicides in the past few years. 2021 figures ticking up 5% from 2020, but... 2020 was up 44% from 2019. So the last couple of years, we've seen nearly a 45, 50% increase in murders and even in violent crimes. And so when you think about crime and crime rate, you naturally think about cities like Chicago and Washington, D.C. being the worst. However, however, per capita, those are not the worst because their populations are so huge they don't even make the list of cities that are the most dangerous to live in. They may have the most uh, gross number of crimes, but not the most dangerous. So I, I got to thinking, wh what are the safest cities to live in? And, and maybe what are the most dangerous cities to live in? So if you wanted to look at what are the 10 safest cities in America to live in, I'm going to show you the city. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do this like this. I'm going to show you the city, and I'm going to sh uh, explain these numbers right in the beginning, and then I won't explain the numbers anymore. Number one, the safest city in America is Frisco, Texas. 
the violent crime rate is 86 per 100,000 residents. That's the lowest on the list. And the property crime rate is 972 per 100,000 residents. Now, these are not the only two factors that went into determining this because you'll see some numbers later on that you think are maybe a little lower. There are multiple factors. These are only the only two I thought you cared about. Uh, violent crime rate. So for every 100,000 people, 86 people in Frisco suffer a violent crime. And for property crime rates, breaking in your house, stealing something out of your car, that kind of thing, it's almost 1,000 per 100,000. So Frisco, Texas. Safest place to live. Well, what are some other safe places to live? McKinney, Texas. I'm starting to think there's something to carrying these guns all the time around with, you know, that deters crime. Until, number three, Santa Clarita, California. Number four, Sunnyvale, California. Number five, Glendale, California. Number six, we're back to Texas. McAllen, Texas. Number seven and eight, we're a tie. Cary, North Carolina, Santa Clara, California again. Number nine, Plano, Texas. And finally, number 10, Torrance, California. Basically, if you don't want a crime committed against you, move to Texas or certain parts of California. Anywhere in Texas or certain parts of California. Well, those are the safest places to live. Then I thought, well, what are the most dangerous places to live? Public service Announcement brought to you by Pastor Joel. One of the most dangerous places to live in America. Uh, number one most dangerous place to live in America is Monroe, Louisiana. The violent crime rate is 30 for 1,000 residents. That means your chances of being a victim are 1 in 34 of some kind of crime. Number two, Memphis, Tennessee. Chances of being a victim, one in 41. Number three, Saginaw, Michigan. Chance of being a victim, one in 42. Detroit, Michigan, no surprise there. Chance of being a victim, one in 44. Number five, St. Louis, Missouri. Wouldn't have thought that. Number six, Alexandria, Louisiana. Again, we're seeing a trend here. Don't move to Louisiana. Number seven, Pine Bluff, Arkansas. To go along with Little Rock, Arkansas. And Georgia finally makes the list. Number nine at Albany, Georgia. Not Atlanta. Albany, Georgia. Your chance of being a victim is one in 56. And finally, number 10, South Bend, Indiana. Chances of being a victim are one in 59, one of the most dangerous places to live. Here's why I put those numbers up. Because when you live in one of those cities, chances are very high, very high, that you will be a victim of a crime and sometimes even a, a violent attack. Chances are very high that if you live there for any length of time whatsoever, chances are very high that you're going to be a victim of a crime or the victim of a violent crime. With that backdrop in mind, let me give you another statistic. As a child of God, here is the chance you will be attacked by the enemy of God. The chances are 100%. If you are a child of God, the chances that you're going to come under a spiritual attack, 
The chances that you're going to be attacked by the enemy of God, the chance that you're going to be attacked by the demonic forces of hell are one in one, 100%. You are going to be under attack, not just you're going to be under attack at some point in your life, not, not just that you're going to be under attack one day in your life. The chances are 100% that every day of your life, you are going to come under spiritual attack. There is a one in one chance. It is going to happen every day of your life, and we call it, we call that attack spiritual warfare. We've got all these demonic forces of hell, one-third of the heavenly host of angels at one time, led by Satan himself, led by Diablo himself, that they are attacking us as children of God. They are attacking our culture and turning our culture on us. We call that spiritual warfare. We call that spiritual battle, and it's going to happen to you, and it's going to happen to me, and all of us every day of our lives. So Paul told us that. Paul told us it was going to happen, and Paul told us what to do about it. So let's look at that. Ephesians chapter 6. Would you stand with me as we honor God's word by reading it? It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles or even if you just want to look up this way. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10. Paul said this, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to re resist in the evil day, having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit, with every prayer and request and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Thank you. You may be seated. When we get to Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10, we find Paul giving us a master's, class, master's level class on our enemy and what to do about warfare that we find ourselves in every day of your life. Every day of your life, you are in a spiritual battle. And hear me this morning, the enemy does not give up. The enemy does not back down. The enemy does not grow tired. The enemy does not give up. The enemy does not back down. And the enemy does not grow tired. You're going to be in a fight every day of your life. So we never, ever get to be done with the fight as long as we're in this world. So what did Paul tell us? What do we need to know? How is it going to help us fight these forces that are coming against us, this, these demonic forces that are literally out to get us? How are we going to save private you? Let me give you five things this morning about spiritual warfare. And by the way, by the way, I spent yesterday, the Bible software I use, um, 
Uh, I've been collecting it for 20-something years. I probably have over, I know I have over $20,000. Sometimes I'll give you a higher number. I just, I asked them one time, how much have I spent on this over 20 years? And they, they couldn't tell me because of changes. But well over $20,000 I've spent in 22 years of collecting this Bible material. So I sat down yesterday, because I'm a preacher and it's what I do for fun, and I just read hundreds of pages of commentaries just to fill myself once again for this sermon. There is a, there is a, a reformer out of the 1600s who wrote a 1,200-page tome on these 10 verses. 1,200 pages on these 10 verses. So today I'd like to preach for two and a half hours on spiritual warfare. I'm pumped and ready to go, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it in the next 20 minutes. All right, let me give you five things you need to know. There's so much here. There's so much here. Let me just do a flyover and give you five things. Number one is this. You need to know you are under attack. You are under attack. Look at what he says. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. And then verse 12, for our struggle. We know right off the bat that this demonic horde we've been talking about is coming after a Christian who is giving his uh, who uh, who is giving his whole life to God. Now, let me break down the Book of Ephesians for you just a moment. Uh, 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 chapters one through three are doctrinal chapters. Chapters four through six are what are called duty chapters. Chapters one through three tell me why I'm doing what I'm doing. Chapters four through six tell me what I should be doing. And so when you go through Ephesians uh, chapters four, five, and six, you find out the duty of a Christian, how you are supposed to act. Just in chapter five, just in chapter five, we find out things like this, that you're to be a thankful Christian. And so chapter 5 lays out the groundwork for you as a thankful child of God. And by the way, that is an attitude a Christian ought to walk around with every day of their life. We're told in chapter 5 to be a thankful Christian. We're told in chapter 5 that you're to be walking in the Spirit of God, right? You're to be filled with the Spirit of God. Ephesians 5, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. So you're supposed to be walking in the Spirit of God. You're supposed to be a worshiping Christian. We're told to sing to ourselves psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's in private. That's in church service as well. We're to be a worshiping Christian. We're told that you're to be the one that has their family life in order. So much of chapter 5, beginning chapter 6, is about getting your family life in order. And not only that, uh, as we get around just the beginning of chapter 6, you're to be the one representing Christ at work and in the marketplace. So here's what Paul's laying out just in chapter 5 and the first few verses of chapter 6. He's laying out the groundwork and the theology and the duty for you to be a thankful Christian, walking in the Spirit, worshiping Christ with your family life in order and your work life in order. Can I tell you this? That kind of Christian is going to get the attention of the devil. That kind of Christian is going to get the attention of the demonic world. It's going to get you noticed by the enemy. And so Paul, after saying all that in the last part of chapter 5 and then moving in the first part of chapter 6, says this, I'd better end this thing about how to fight in the Christian life because the enemy's coming after you. And so Paul said, here's what you've got to worry about. Schemes and struggle. Schemes and struggle. Two words he uses that I need you to pay attention to this morning. 
The word schemes, and you've heard me say this multiple times in a sermon, but let me lean into it just for a moment. The word schemes in the Greek is the Greek word methodia. It means scheming, craftiness, wiles. One, King James translates it the wiles of the devil. That's a great translation. It means a, a method, a way of doing something deceptively, oftentimes, especially in a systematic way. It implies an orderly, logical arrangement, normally in steps. It is a scheme. It is a method. Now, for Satan, it is the bait and trap method. That is, he, he baits temptation for you in order to trap you in misery, sin, and lack of joy in your life. So Satan's method is to bait something and make it look really, really fun so that he can trap you when you take the bait. You said, was any good at it? There's a rule called the 10,000-hour rule that says uh, if you do something for 10,000 hours, you will become an expert at it. Well, imagine this. Satan has been doing it for nearly 10,000 years. Not quite that long, but for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. As a matter of fact, if you go back to your Bible in Genesis chapter 3, you know what we see Satan doing? We see Satan in Genesis chapter 3 with the bait and trap method. We see Satan with a scheme. We see Satan with a method. It's probably the same method he used to trick a third of the angels to fall out of heaven. It's the same method he used for Adam and Eve. It's the same method he tried on Jesus. It's the same method he works on you and me. It's the same method that he and his demonic horde use every day of of your life. So that means the enemy is coming after you with a plan. The enemy is coming after you scheming exactly how to destroy your life. And let me, let me put that word methodia. And, and if you're a sports fan, uh, uh, think, think about this. When you talk about the word scheming, think about a football coach. A college football coach will spend all week scheming how to beat the other team. What Satan and the demonic horde do is they spend all week scheming about how to beat the other team. Today, today. Tennessee's coach is scheming how to beat Georgia. Georgia's coach, scheming how to beat Tennessee. Plus, since all the Christians are on Georgia's side, we're praying too. We're praying too. We're scheming and praying, man. We're scheming and praying. They're doing it all week long. That's how the enemy operates in your life. That is an absolute fact that that he is scheming against you. A bait and trap method in your life. And it's not haphazard. He's willing to play the long game. He's willing to wait for your weak moments. He's willing to wait till you fall. He's willing to wait till you're tired. It's a scheme. Secondly, he called it a, a struggle. A struggle. The word in the Greek means a wrestling match. But, but Greek tragedy uh, took it to a broader sense, and it could be a conflict of battle of any sort it occurs in the new testament only in this verse now i like the word wrestle the king james says for we we wrestle not against flesh and blood struggle is fine but i like the word wrestle have you ever wrestled if you're a professional wrestler a professional wrestler if you're a professional wrestler is all fake but if you're a professional if you're a wrestler maybe in Middle school, high school, somewhere on the way, gentlemen, you know, you get down on that mat 
and it's just you are wrapped up in that struggle, limbs everywhere trying to get a grip. If you've never wrestled maybe on a team, you've wrestled at home with your kids, you've wrestled somewhere along the way, you know what it's like to wrestle. It's intimate. It's personal. It is a struggle against your opponent. And that's the word Paul uses when we fight the enemy. It is a struggle against our part. Listen, this is not cyber warfare. This is not impersonal warfare. This is you and the devil on the ground wrestling it out every single day. It is a, it is a method. It is a scheme. That is a literal wrestling match that you are under attack every day. The enemy's coming after you with a well-thought-out plan. You're going to be in a wrestling match. You're going to be in a battle. You're going to be in a struggle. And if you're going to do anything for God whatsoever, if you ever plan on doing anything for God, if you have any influence over the spiritual life of anyone, I'll give you a hint, you do have that influence, then the enemy is coming after you and you are going to be in an absolute dogfight every day of your life. No matter who you are, no matter what you do, no matter where you are, Satan is coming after you. And he's so good at it, oftentimes we don't even see it coming. Now, now there are some places you can see it coming, right? There's some, I, I saw a story the other day, I saw an article about the most sinful states in America to live in. Like, I, I should see it coming here, right? So when you look at the most sinful states in America, what's number one? What? Right. Nevada. Number two, what is it? California. Number three, Texas. Number four, Florida. Louisiana. Tennessee. I've been saying it all along. <laughs> number seven, Pennsylvania. Number eight, Georgia, Georgia, South Carolina, and Illinois. Here's what the graph tells us, that it's going to be a little bit easier to get in trouble in some of these states than it is South Dakota, right? Because if I look at the bottom of the list, here's the least sinful states. If you just want to run away from trouble, go to Nebraska or Utah, North Dakota, Minnesota, New Hampshire, Iowa. That makes sense. South Dakota, there's nobody to get in trouble with in South Dakota. <laughs> Vermont, hey, I've been to Wyoming. You, you, you'd have to drive 100 miles to find trouble in Wyoming. There is nothing in Wyoming. Or even Idaho. Idaho. Here, here's what I know. There are some places it's easier to get in trouble than other places. But it really doesn't matter where you live. If you're living for Christ, the demonic forces of hell are coming for you. They want to find a life that they can take down and embarrass uh, the kingdom of God. Hear me, your sin is not personal. I've heard people say that all of my ministry will preach what I do is nobody's business. I absolutely beg to differ. If you're a child of God, then Jesus died for that very sin you're making light of, died for that very sin you're making fun of. And not only that, when he takes down a child of God, it affects everybody you influence for the kingdom or could have influenced for the kingdom one day. He is looking for a life and he's looking for, the Bible says, a precious life to take down. 
Proverbs 6, he said this, For a prostitute's fee is only a loaf of bread, but the wife of another man goes after a precious life. That's what that devil does. He goes after a precious life. Satan is coming after the precious life. He's coming after you. It's not a private temptation. It is a cosmic battle between the kingdom of God and the forces of evil. And you are just the playing field of the struggle. You're under attack. So get used to it. But learn to defend and fight the battle. Don't hand your life over to the enemy on a silver platter. And say, here I am. Second thing I want to tell you this morning about spiritual warfare is this. Your enemy is not who you think it is. Not who you think it is. Look look what Paul said, verse number 12. For our struggle, our wrestling match, is not, is not against flesh, flesh and blood. One of the things we have to reconcile that are, that, that is hard to realize is that we are not fighting people. Did you know that people are not our problem? Really, people are not our problem. People are not who we fight. Every battle we face is a spiritual battle. Paul, Paul told us this. He told us in the second part of verse 12. But we don't, we're not fighting people, he says. But we're fighting the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of this Darkness against evil. Spiritual forces in the heavens. This this is who our enemy is. Our enemy is not flesh and blood. Our enemy is not people. And immediately you think, well, preacher, it it feels like it's my wife. Man, I know what you're saying, but have you seen her? Have Have you seen how he treats me? I know it's not my kids, but it sure seems like it is. I know it's not my boss. I mean, I get it. Maybe it's not my mother-in-law, but man, if she feels like the devil sometimes. And, or that used to be friend or that person on the other side of the church. No, Paul said, we do not wrestle people. You're engaged in spiritual warfare. Now, that doesn't mean they are demon-possessed. What it means is Satan is probably aggravating the situation to see how you will handle yourself and to see if you will represent Jesus or give in to the flesh. You're not battling a body. You're wrestling the spirit world, even though it feels like a physical enemy. It's not. I saw this the other day, it was a news article in September 9th that said, from back pain to allergies, the average adult is battling at least four health issues. How many of you can sympathize with that, empathize with that, at least four things? They went on to study and here's what they found, that the average adult suffers from four physical ailments a day, a day. Among those with health issues, 46% struggle to sleep. 28% have developed a mental condition because of their health issues, and 18% cannot even work. That we're battling so many physical ailments a day, it is shutting down our lives. So you know what? Here's why I tell you that. We're used to dealing with physical problems. 
That's not every day of our lives. We're battling for physical problems. And so when trouble comes our way, we assume it's a physical problem, but it's not. You're wrestling the demonic forces of hell, the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers of darkness, evil spiritual forces. And it's all a test to see how much you'll be like Jesus. Will you resist the temptation? Will you forgive? Will you ask for forgiveness? Will you calm your spirit? That's what you're fighting every day in the spirit world. The question is this, will you let the Holy Spirit run your life or the demonic world ruin your life? Because it's not flesh and blood. Can we just, can we just talk 2022 20, for a minute? Every time you post on social media something negative about someone, I want you to ask yourself, is that what Jesus would do or is that what the demonic forces of this world would do every time you run someone down who has wronged you ask yourself is this a holy spirit response to being wronged is that what jesus would do or did jesus hang on the cross and say father forgive them for they don't know what they're doing No, every time we attack people as children of God, hear me, you just lost the battle. Jesus is playing. The devil is the accuser. God is not the accuser. We're called to love people. We're called to forgive people. We're called to to not do any of that the way the world would do it. We're supposed to be healed by the cross of Jesus. And so our battle is not a physical one against people. Our battle is a spiritual one against the devil. And sometimes he's all up in our business just seeing how we'll respond. Just seeing if we'll be like him. Just seeing if we'll go out and defend ourselves and say something negative about people who've hurt us or wronged us. But your enemy's not who you think it is. Anytime you can put a name other than the devil to your enemy, step back for a minute. That is not your enemy. Point number three, I want to make this. Point number three is you're not defenseless. Paul said to take up the full armor of God. Now, I know what God is asking of you is difficult, but you have been well equipped. Paul says this, that you're to take up the full armor of God. We've been really equipped by God, so we are not supposed to quiver in the face of this spiritual darkness. And so Paul takes us through this armor of God. And chances are when Paul wrote this, we know for sure when Paul wrote this, he was chained up in prison. Chances are he was either chained to a pole with a guard, Roman guard guarding, or he was chained to a Roman guard. So Paul was probably looking right at a Roman soldier when he wrote this full armor of God passage, which has some hints coming out of the Old Testament even. But he wrote this full armor of God. Here's what he said. Truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. Uh, feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace shield of faith and by the way this shield of faith this is a whole sermon or two by itself right here this whole armor of god but the shield of faith is interesting the enemy would oftentimes uh and, and the bible talks about the fiery arrows or the fiery darts of the wicked so they would carry wooden shields and before they learned any better the fiery dart would follow me now would hit the shield catch it on fire And the Roman soldiers would throw down the shield to get rid of the fiery shield. And when they threw down the shield, they were near defensiveless and would be easily killed. 
And so Paul says, come along with the shield of faith. So here's what the Roman soldiers started doing. They would cut out a piece of leather in the shape of their shield. They would soak it in water all night long before a battle. They would, they would strap that armor to their shield, soaking wet, soaking the wood as well. So when the fiery darts hit it, the fiery arrows hit it, it would put the fire out. But oftentimes, out of habit, they still throw down their shield and die. And Paul said, you've got a shield of faith. That is, when the enemy comes at you to discourage you, don't throw down your shield. Keep your faith in God. So, so much there. And, and finally, the helmet of salvation, which has to do with you knowing you're saved. Here is the armor of the child of God. You are not defenseless. All of that is available through our walk with Christ. By faith, I put on the armor of God every day in my life. I do this in my own prayer time every day. I have this whole section where I have this armor listed out and I say, God, by faith today, by faith, I put on that belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness and my feet shod with the gospel of peace and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. I do it every day. By faith, I claim the armor of God in difficult situations. By faith, I ask God to empower me with that armor when facing temptation. You cannot have that armor when you don't have a daily walk with Jesus. And I ask God to let each piece of that armor fight off depravity and deceit and discord and discouragement and doubt. Listen, you're more equipped to withstand the attacks of your enemy than you realize you are. Put on the armor of God daily in your life. Walk in the Spirit of God and live. Live for Jesus. I, I, I've got to move number four. He also said you have weapons. He called it the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then verse 18, he says, praying at all times. Paul didn't tell us, I find this interesting, to go around casting out demons and rebuking spirits. You know what he told us to do? He told us to attack hell. It's the same thing Jesus said. We're not just on the defense, we're on the offense. Jesus said we're on the offense, Matthew 16, 18. I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not overpower it. Well, the only reason you're at the gates of hell is you are on the offensive. You are on the attack. Well, how do we, how do we go on the offense against demonic forces? Here's what he says. Number one, wield the word. Wield the word. We're, we are to bathe our lives in the word of God and to use the word as our guide for life and godliness. Paul said, take this word of God, take this Bible, use this Bible, and use it as your guide to life and godliness. Peter said that in 2 Peter. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. Look at that. Everything required for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Well, how do I have everything required for life and godliness? I find it all right here in this book. I find every bit of it right here in this book. And if you want to be on the offense against these dark forces, then dive into the Word of God. That means you've got to read this Bible, study this Bible, memorize this Bible, obey this Bible, use this Bible. The devil runs from the Word. All three times when Jesus was attacked by the devil, here's what he said, Matthew 4, 4, it is written. Matthew 4, 7, it is written. Matthew 4, 10, go away, Satan. It is written. And the reason we 
lose our battles, the reason we can't fight, the reason we have no joy, the reason we have no victory is we like to talk about the Word, but we don't like to get into the Word. Nobody, no Christian in the room or watching online, wherever you may be, you're not going to disagree with me that you ought to read your Bible. You tell somebody else to read the Bible. The problem is you're just not reading the Bible. Second weapon we have. Wield the word, number one. Number two, he said, pray, pray with perseverance. Praying at all times, he said. All the time, Jesus tells us to keep praying and not give up. When the disciples couldn't cast demons out of a man, here's what Jesus said. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. When the disciples could not win spiritual warfare, Jesus literally told them, you're not praying enough. You're not praying enough. The Word of God is our weapon. Prayer is our weapon. Prayer gets God acting on your behalf. You've got to stay in prayer. You've got to pray when you feel like it. And when you don't, you've got to talk to God. Hey, can I tell you this? (laughs) You've got to talk to God when you want to tell somebody off. Do this instead. You have weapons. You're just not using them. I'm going to skip some points here. I got, I, I got, I'm not going to skip points. I'm going to skip some preaching. Let me get down to number five and I'm finished. Number five, you can win. I want you to notice the words the Bible uses here uh, for this. The Bible tells all of this in these ten verses. He said that you can stand, you can resist, You can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the enemy. You can stay alert. You can take your stand. Three times in there we're told to stand uh, throughout it. All of that in those ten verses tell me this, that you can win spiritual battle. You can be victorious in spiritual battle. The demonic world may be coming at you, but you can push them back, stand your ground, and forever, forever, Claim your victory that Christ has already won on the cross of Calvary and when he got up from the tomb. Close your Bible, stand with me, and I'm finished. I'm going to show you one thing this morning. I'm going to show you one thing. I can show you so much more. I'm going to show you one thing. A study was just released that says this. One in six Americans have a severely problematic news addiction. One in six. I will not ask you to raise your hands. I will say I've been there. It was a, more than a decade ago. I, I, I live my life by watching the news. I get up, turn it on first thing in the morning, watch it until I went into the office. I, I'd grab it during the day if I could, I, anywhere. I'd come home, turn the news on when I got home. And finally one day I said, you know what? The news is going to happen with or without me. And here's what I, you say, well, something big happens. You know what I figured out? Something big happens, somebody always tells me about it. Like, earthquake happens, somebody says, you hear about that earthquake? I'm like, no, but give me one second and I'll pull it up and find out about it. I always find out about it. I'm not walking around ignorant, I always find out about it, Right? Because I wanted to break my severely problematic news addiction. One in six people. Look at this. 73% with severe levels of problematic news consumption experience mental illness. 
quite a bit or very much compared with just 8% of overall persistence. So those of us not watching the news, we're fine. Watching the news all the time, you, you have more anxiety than we can chart. Look at this. The study also found that 61% of news addicts experience physical illness. Physical illness. Quite a bit or very much compared with just 6% of everybody else. So if you're filling your life with the news, you are, sorry, but you are mentally and physically sick by your own testimony. By your own testimony. Wait, hold on. Now I'll get the rest of you. I can find similar studies for too much television. I can find similar studies for too much TikTok. For Instagram and Facebook, I can find the same similar type studies. None of that's helping you conquer the spirit world. You know what would help you conquer the spirit world? This Bible. If everybody says you don't have time to read your Bible and pray, unplug your television, delete your social media, and find out how much time you have all of a sudden. Unplug your television, delete your social media. Do you know why the enemy's winning? Because he's got us into all that technology, and we're not into this. That's why the Bible said in the last days that we are taken captive by him at his will. You know what that means? Most Christians walking around and the devil has us anytime he wants us. He just ain't got to us yet. Because we're spending all our time. Television, news, TikTok, social media. And none of it. None of it. None of it in this book. None of it on our knees. can't fight a spiritual battle off a television or a screen or social media it's got to be fought with this book it's got to be fought on your knees let's bow our heads together close our eyes thank you pastor joel for that message and um boy the truth is this demons are real and um our perception is shaped so much um, by the culture we live in. And I appreciate um, the biblical truth that we've been pointed to this morning about the spiritual world. And um, man, the challenge for me this morning is uh, don't allow any of that stuff to enter my home. Protect my home. It's my job as a dad uh, to protect my wife and my kids um, from those things entering my home, whether it be through the television, or by whatever means. And so uh, maybe you've been challenged in a similar way this morning, or maybe you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus. It begins with you understanding that you're a sinner and that your sin separates you from God. You've got to be willing to admit that. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day, he rose again to conquer sin, death, and hell. For me, and for you, you've got to believe that. And then you have to confess Him as the Lord and Savior of your life. It's not enough just to believe. The scripture tells us even the demons believe. But you have to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, which is one thing they cannot do. 
And if today you'd like to give your heart and life to Christ, tell God this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that he was buried, and on the third day he rose again to pay the penalty for my sin. I ask you to come into my heart, take away my sin, be my Savior. Lord, I give my life to you in Jesus' name. Hey, if you prayed that prayer this morning for the first time, we want to celebrate that with you. And so, um, if you would click on the link that we've just dropped in the chat box that says, I commit my life to Christ. We're going to get in touch with you this week and we're going to help you take next steps on your faith journey with Jesus because we want you to know you're not in this alone and uh, we want to help you as you grow in Christ. Hey, it has been fantastic to be worshiping together online this morning. Um, I hope you have a great week. God bless you. See you next week. We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week as we help equip you to apply God's Word to your daily life. For the latest updates about what's happening around Peavine City, be sure to connect with us on social media. For more information about Peavine, to get in touch with us or check out one of our services, visit us at peavine.org. Thanks for listening.